Hello folks and welcome to the show. In this episode, we bring you a great conversation about the new world of technology in the contact center with a, an organization called Local Measure and their partnership with Amazon Connect. It's amazing to see what can be done nowadays with technology. The advancements have progressed incredibly fast. Just in the last year with COVID and what it forced contact centers to do uh, in terms of being able to scale their operation remotely. And what we're seeing is the barriers to entry for adopting some of the new technology, not just cloud-based telephony services, but some of the other more fancier features that you might see advertised by different providers, things like um, you know, AI-powered tools to listen in on conversations, to monitor text and to deliver real insights at conversational speed. These things just are starting to become the norm. So without creating too much FOMO for the listeners, um, it really is something that any contact centre leader should be educating themselves on because there is probably a provider right there at your front door ready to chat to you about uh, what is possible. And the, the costs, as I said, are, uh, are remarkably lower than what they once were. So I hope you enjoy this episode to just start to un- unveil some of what those opportunities could be and uh, set you on a path to learn a little bit more yourself. So enjoy the show. Cool. Well, let, let's dive in. And um, I know I did send around some questions to get people thinking before, but, you know, we can follow that. But if we get some interesting points come up and we want to explore those, we can we can pretty loosely stick to that that run sheet. So, but it'd be good to, let's set the scene and um, Jonathan, particularly for you, you know, tell us a bit about yourself, local measure, the history of the company, how you came to find yourself working more in contact centers. Cause I know that that's an evolution for you and, and the business. And then, yeah, let's let's dive into what is AWS. Phil, tell us all about that and and the partnership that you guys have. So, yeah, Jonathan. Awesome. Well, look, I was born on a warm uh, summer's night in 1982. Um, <laughs> too far back. Fast, yeah, too far back. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll talk about the last year. So, Local Measures really honed its skills in customer experience at the branch. So, traditionally, we operated with organisations who had large footprints, whether retail, whether hospitality where there was bricks and mortar. Uh, and the challenge there was obviously high frequency of customer. You really don't know who, in, who anyone is. Really tough for the agents to kind of get any kind of personalization happening when you've got people coming in and out all day. So the suite of local measures solutions was all about like identifying customers, personalizing experiences, enabling those customers in branch co- to connect with organizations digitally. We were one of the first Facebook partners, Instagram, Twitter, WeChat, you name it. Hello folks, we have some exciting news. We are kicking off a fortnightly lean coffee on the future of contact centers. We're hoping to build a community of support for all you contact center folks out there who are on a quest to reinvent your contact centers. Our plan is this, it's a fortnightly lean coffee. Lean coffee is just simply a way to prioritize the discussion. So we only talk about the stuff that's most important to you. So you guys will drive this, you will come along with the topics, we will help you prioritize them, and then we will run the discussion. So you get the most value you possibly can out of this time every fortnight. We're gonna run it on the Meetup platform. So www.meetup.com and then search for the future of contact centers and then simply register and you'll get all the reminders and so forth in your calendar. 
We think it's a cool platform because, A, we can run the event through there, but also there's message boards, polls, discussion threads. So we're hoping it's a, a place where you can go not just to participate in these these forums every fortnight, but also to build your network with like-minded contact center people and have the discussions that you need to have so that you can make your contact center better. So we're super excited about it. Kicking off um, on Meetup, as I said, so head to www.meetup.com, search for the future of contact centers, register and come along. And yeah, we'd love to see you there and really look forward to making this something that uh, you can rely on to help you in your quest. So that's it for now, and we hope to see you there. Bye. What happened obviously during COVID was most of the companies we work with, their branches started to shut one by one with COVID. And they were kind of scrambling to figure out like what does customer experience look like in a scaled way with the customers that usually would have walked into a branch to solve a problem. At simultaneously, they were seeing their contact centers explode with volume, with voice, with chat, with social, because obviously when you're squeezing the retail, everybody goes into kind of the central funnel of the contact center. So we had to really quickly pivot to figure out how could we take the solutions, the UI, the UX that we'd honed over years in the branch, like a really delightful agent experience and kind of port that really quickly to agents in the contact center to help our customers deliver kind of scaled outcomes. So that's been the last year. Um, I got my first few gray hairs towards the end of last year. That was a deal that we helped um, AWS win. That's kind of Phil's fault. So those two gray hairs are Phil's fault. Um, but largely it's been really successful. So we, you know, we have um, gone on that journey. We've always played with contact centers because they've been an integral part of what we do, but now we're very squarely driving kind of communication, the conversations at scale within the contact center. So where does AWS fit in? I mean, I'll hand over to Phil, but our platform has always been built on AWS, obviously infrastructure, cloud, um, but more recently with Connect, which is their omni-channel capabilities, which Phil will talk to you about. We've been able to add voice to our platform, which was something that we never had before. And also some of the AI and machine learning and orchestration um, that we never had to kind of uh, deal with at the scale at the branch, but we do have to deal with at the scale at the contact center, which is handling you know, millions and millions of customer contacts. So you can think of Local Measure as a finished software platform, conversations platform for the contact center. We can orchestrate voice and, and all of the digital channels and CRM integrations and disposition codes and all the things that you would expect in your contact center that is underpinned by some of the smarts um, that I'll hand over to Phil to kind of share, share what AWS up to. Cool. Uh, yeah, thanks, JB. Uh, yeah, so the, the way I tell the story, Sean, as Jonathan knows, is uh, kind of go back in time a little bit because I think it provides a little bit of context and, and, um, and relevance for what I'm going to talk about. So uh, I've been in AWS for four years. I was given the privilege of starting uh, what was originally our Amazon Connect business across Asia Pac. Um, July 1, 2017 is when we launched generally available Amazon Connect in the Sydney AWS region. Sort of goes back a little bit before that though. So when we think about um, how Amazon takes products and releases products to market, nine out of 10 features and products that we release come from our customers. The other two categories are we run a pretty large scale organization in our own right, as everyone probably knows. So we learn a lot about how to deal with customers. Uh, we modestly talk about um, how we like to 
pride ourselves on the way in which we deliver excellence in customer service and customer experience ourselves. And the third bit is we love to invent on behalf of our customers. That might be something a little bit uh, forward-looking, a bit wacky, get it out there, and then get customer feedback, that flywheel, back to point one. So when we go back in time, uh, we released Amazon Connect uh, around back in 2016 uh, in private preview, generally available 2017. And it was the productized version of the technology that we built, evolved, grew ourselves over the course of the prior uh, decade, give or take. And our story is an interesting one and really resonated, I'd say, and still resonates with customers generally, as Jonathan knows, which is why we built our own, very much a nerd factory, Amazon, right? So, uh, and with the scale that we had to be able to do that, uh, we went to market ourselves and what came back wasn't really in line with what we were looking for, uh, preempting and forecasting the amount of growth, probably not to the level that we've seen, privileged with customer adoption over the last 15 or so years is to be able to have a truly global technology underpin our customer service to be able to scale up, scale down dynamically. So really important days for us, like Prime Day, Cyber Monday, Christmas time and so on, we have significant spikes. So at our current run rate as a business, we scale from an agent pool point of view. So Sean, very much in your background, we scale between 70 and 83,000 agents depending on that time of the year. So having the tech that can dynamically do that for us was what, we needed to do and then um, progressively build a lot of that machine learning capability into our own technology. That then triggered uh, a growing number of customers over the, uh, the years prior to our launch. We were saying to us, what technology do you guys use? We talked about ourselves and that was where Amazon Connect was released. And subsequently from there, what we've seen is, uh, I like to think, you know, really uh, successful execution of our vision, which was to genuinely use what I think aspirationally in the context of the market has been talked about for kind of 20 odd years is how can I leverage that data that I'm building on my customer, uh, genuinely use that at speed and scale to inform. And typically, you know, how customers say that to us is that event-driven, data-driven, incre increasingly intuitive customer service, uh, leveraging a lot of this Jonathan touched on those machine learning capabilities. It's kind of part A. And the part B was really that vision to progressively use that data then to uh, apply the right logic to it, to start looking for predictive or at least proactive patterns of engagement with customers. And we've learned a lot ourselves and we continue to learn from our customers all the time. So things like, uh, you know, that notion that Phil as a consumer calls a service provider or financial services organization, courier, whatever, every Thursday at 3 p.m., that's not a very difficult and complex algorithm to kind of apply to start becoming predictive to that engagement and shift that service orientation. We think that shift that service orientation to go to where the customer is at, increasingly proactively, as I said, and ideally predictive over time, is really at the heart of what we're seeing organizations talk to us about. And what underpins that is all these underlying uh, capabilities all coming together progressively as a true software as a service and then leveraging uh, really strong partners like Local Measure, who to Jonathan's point, and then wrap in any other additional value add IP to really create that as a dynamic and powerful service for our customers, ideally easily consumable and ideally seeing on the AWS marketplace. Yeah. I suppose the point I'd add to, to, to the predictive point that Phil mentioned is, I mean, no one wakes up in the morning saying, 
you know, I'm hoping that I'm going to call a contact center today, right? Like that, that's not kind of how you start your day. You, you pick up the phone to call a contact center generally because something's gone wrong or some kind of business process has broken down. So, I mean, clearly if you can use the data to get to the root cause and solve it, that's a win. But if you can't, the next step, if you can kind of help the customer in a predictive way, in an anticipatory way on their own terms and not making them sit in a queue on an IVR, like that is a circle of hell that you never get to the right person. I mean, that's kind of what a good customer service looks like. So we're seeing organizations that are kind of seeing something go wrong in a process send an SMS out to the customer through a pinpoint saying, hey, we think something's gone wrong. And then kind of initiating a dialogue before a customer kind of is even realized that there's something broken in their day. So they don't have to pick up the call and kind of wait in a queue for half an hour. So that, that's kind of what a magical experience should look like. So have you, uh, I like, oh, I think we've lost. I've lost Phil. Phil. Maybe it's something I said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let, let's push on. Go. Let's push on. Yeah, we can, yeah he'll, he'll join again. <laughs> I wanted to ask, um, like, have you, you know, with your clients that you've worked with now, right? Like, do you have any like examples of where you've able to find these opportunities like that you can think of? Cause I think it'd be really great for leaders to actually go like, cause everyone gets the theory behind it, but they'd love to hear, I think a real example that they can go take away and speak to their own CRO or wherever it is and go, this is why we need, this kind of intelligence? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was one um, that a customer pitched me last week. And to be honest, the, the actual use case isn't live yet, but the, the use, the problem that they have is when insurance renewals come up for renewal, um, they're often chasing the customer after the renewal date, by which time it's kind of typically too late to kind of get that sale. And it's, it's a pretty average customer experience. So they've kind of built in some, some intelligence into their algorithm that kind of looks at the date of renewal, kind of goes in 30 days and starts to look at the customer's behaviour um, and then does like a proactive outreach from an agent to kind of reach out to that customer leading into a renewal. So kind of rather than expecting and waiting for the churn to happen, they're kind of doing the outreach and giving all of the information to the agent with a kind of an outbound call. So that sort of, you know, delivers value to the customer because obviously you have to kind of go from the work from the customer backwards, but it also delivers value to the organization, right? Because they can reduce their churn rate. So that was just a conversation we had yesterday, but that's kind of the type of, I suppose, use case. Once you've got data and you're using it intelligently, you can kind of drive a business outcome and a customer outcome. Yeah. And if I can just, yeah, go for it. The question was like, what are some great experiences that we've seen? Yeah, I think the that example you talked about, Jonathan, is quite representative, isn't it? The the, the end state that uh, or target state, sorry, organisations are really talking to us about is that dynamic personalised service. We, we think of it uh, from our point of view, uh, Sean, is that uh, if uh, if we think about the customer experience from a point of view of trying to really reduce customer effort, whilst at the same time simultaneously increasing empathy, right? And doing that whilst reducing cost, then we see that uh, that engagement score increase. We know that in terms of customers, we know that ourselves, and then obviously that output is uh, ultimately customer lifetime value. And happy customers tell their friends, pay their bills, all that type of stuff. So we know from a customer experience principle tenant perspective ourselves, we're always looking for that advocacy and loyalty piece. And so I think Jonathan, one of the things that's really interesting is that that 
that uh, we get commonly with organizations in terms of the question around use cases is we, we've seen legacy technology kind of built, therefore we've had to conform to the way in which the legacy technology is, has been built. Whereas we've moved on from that where we want much more this customer journey or customer experience, end-to-end service experience, and we want the tech to adapt to that, ideally dynamically. And I think that step change in the market is really empowering for organisations because what really it does is it means organisations, this is your world short, isn't it, uh, really should focus on what they're um, gold on, which is customer engagement. And the step behind that is what's the service design that I want to optimise and then change in life dynamically based on intelligence that I get or analytics that I, I derive as opposed to have the tech kind of guide what that service experience should be. It's a real freeing up and empowering. So what that means is like that Jonathan example we talked about, it really frees up organisations to think much more in terms of experimentation, yeah, and actually then use the technology. So to give an example, organisation uh, that we've been working with some time, they had a, a grouping of proof of value list that they wanted to deliver and they had a four-month allocated uh, time of resources and budget to achieve those. And what we did is we work with them in a real facilitated way. We're seeing that blurring of line between kind of historic IT and the business. Now they really need to come together in terms of speed. And in that uh, two-day boot camp or hackathon, if you want to call that, we help them achieve 75% of those proofs of value in that two-day period that they had forecasted for four months. And that means that customer has something to think about now. Do they bring back that four-month timeline and the budget to a much more, you know, one week, two week scenario, or do they keep that budget and timeline there and just keep on experimenting and apply ABCD testing to that services on experience and get real sentiment, real insight to what customers feel like in that service experience, you know, based on context, based on channel, based on going outbound to them, to Jonathan's point. And, and even though that's a little bit of a, a nerd, lame, cheesy thing to say, we love that stuff because that really is the fun stuff to see organisations are genuinely proving or disproving their hypotheses as opposed to kind of doing a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. And you're touching on a point that I wanted to, wanted to get into is around how, I mean, AWS is the example, but software as a service seems to be having quite a, quite a big impact on the, the landscape in contact centres. And, you know, even up to a couple of years ago, you know, the cloud and those kind of things was, was um, it was certainly around, but it wasn't as, as prevalent as it is today. And, you know, on-premise solutions certainly were, you know, that's kind of how you got your technology back when I was, you know, running a lot of the contact centres. So, yeah, keen to chat about what do you think you've started to explore some of these things, but, but yeah, how is, how is software as a service changing the dynamic of the contact centre and the way that they operate their teams? Wow, it changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, Phil can't say this because he's, he, he's from AWS, but some of the legacy systems are really shit. I mean, you think about the, and no one talks about the agent experience, right? In, the reason why there's so much churn in contact centers is you're making them do like things that no other person in your organization would have to do like in a sane manner. You're putting 23 different tabs, which is what a customer told me yesterday in front of them to kind of service a customer request. What human brain enjoys going to 23 different tools to fulfill, you know, a customer request. And on the flip side, I had a customer telling me for an on-prem system had to spend $30,000 and a six or eight week change request to change the whole music, the whole music. Cause they had customers, you know, <laughs> losing their shit, listening to the same music for the last five or six years. 
So $30,000 to change the music. So, I mean, I think that's not um, a way that you can do business. That's not agile. That's not responsive. That's not personalized. And so I think what the cloud does, it allows you to kind of scale up and down. It allows organizations to get their hands dirty, as Phil said, to test and to try, to actually A-B test. Like you could always do that stuff on your website, but you could never A-B test in your contact center, right? Because it's expensive and, and you'd break shit. Now you can kind of run experiments live and see what works and then reimagine the customer journey and like continue to optimize. And then I suppose the final point is just cost. I mean, you're paying for capacity at the peak so that when these big sales events hit that you've always got enough infrastructure and you're always managing servers going up and down and paying expensive service contracts, that kind of disappears like in, in a cloud world where you can just pay for consumption. Mm. So kind of the more you use, the more you pay, the kind of the less you use, the less you pay. So in theory, it should make contact center leaders um, a lot happier because it aligns to kind of their KPIs, which is better customer experience. Mm. I'm just getting like nightmares and just flashbacks to all those moments you were talking about, Jonathan, about especially changing whole music. It was a disaster. Um, I remember having to do that. Um, so question, and it just comes to mind, like if I put myself in the mind of probably your clients, right? And you probably get this question all the time, or or probably you. this is something that you're battling with is how, like, it just seems like everything you're talking about just seems why would you go anywhere else? Like, why would you not use these new tools that give you so much like functionality, ability, all that sort of stuff, efficiency, agility? Like, what what do you find are the barriers and how do you help your customers kind of, because I assume the customer you're speaking to probably don't have the ability to make those decisions. And that's at least what we notice that they're probably having to seek out approvals to spend that money on the services that you guys provide so yeah maybe address that like how what are the challenges that they face to be able to bring you guys on board and how do you kind of um help them solve that yeah i mean we're in an industry that in some ways has uh to a degree not really progressed a great deal, I would say, in the last 20 years. The things that operationally hinder uh, organisations, in, in my humble opinion, um, not move forward or not necessarily as progressive as the business uh, wants them to be are the things that always come up around uh, risk and operational change. Now, and I think Jonathan mentioned it, I think you know, the, the circumstances as tragic as they have been and continue to be over the last 12 months have shown is that operationally you can move at, at speed. The technology permits that. So I think the difference from an AWS point of view that uh, I would say over the last four years is it's considering the areas that we address from a technology point of view, obviously cloud natively, is that the decision for an organisation in simple terms, to move a physical on-premises server to a virtual server in the cloud is typically a fairly binary decision for an IT stakeholder. Whereas, as we know, when you're now touching the customer, it's such an emotional, it's such an important, such a crucial decision that there are no end of stakeholders that come into the frame. 
And obviously what that does is, is it creates uh, an addition to the x-axis, yeah? It creates questions of risk. And I think what it also does is technologically, back to the previous question, that because of the legacy technology and the fact that things have been historically somewhat less than reliable and integrations have been fraught with danger and highly costly, that the inclination to unstitch those you create the uh, sort of environment of a figurative, obviously, bowl of spaghetti. I've got these technology areas that interrelate to these other technology areas. I've got to keep this firmer and patches and these releases up to date. And goodness, you know, forbid I touch any of those and the whole thing falls to, to crap, right? So I think that's the environment that historically, you know, we're, we're facing into. And, and I think to, to Jonathan's point, I think... The contact centre operators, the contact centre supervisors, the CX administrators, the agents themselves, and I heard a term the other day used by a customer that, that they, they've used, uh, they admitted this, that they've used agents in that environment as human glue. For It's easier, as we know from a BPO point of view, to just throw people at, at a scenario. In fact, I had a similar situation many, many years ago. We had a, a customer in, in uh, the Philippines that had 6,000 agents. They transitioned to Amazon Connect full SAS and uh, to do the right thing, we offered to go and spend some time in two of their BPOs and it was quite emotional. These, uh, you know, relatively young agents with the 22 day onboarding with 32 different applications that they had to try and stitch together as human glue to overcome the technology challenges that were being faced. In a more progressive way, to answer the question, what we've proven is that the patterns of adoption can uh, allow and enable organisations to move at genuine pace. Yeah, We only ever talk about publicly referenced examples. So if you look at Origin Energy that were in the program of transitioning to Amazon Connect and uh, over time transitioned that transformation into many of our machine learning capabilities like Amazon Lex for natural language understanding, the deployment of Amazon Polly for neural text-to-speech across 62 different personas, 32 different languages, and then COVID. And what that meant is like many organizations that crunch of not only technology change, operational change, but then they had to onshore many people in over a you know, 24, 72 hour period, right? And so that proved how quickly organizations can move. So I think what we're doing, we like to think about is with our customers to a degree, two parts, redefining what a customer experience technology stack could look like and then pull together as a really single and value uh, centered proposition like local measure have done and the second thing is really reinvent and we talk all the time about don't just build a better mousetrap which i think again has been a historic hangover from the, the industry of well this has been how i've been doing it for the last 19 years so i'm pretty much going to do it the same thing we had a, a customer one of our first customers that adopted they had uh, two primary uh, ivr call flows that had two names, right? Billy and, and Pete, if I remember correctly. And I remember asking the CTO, why, why do you have those names as the two core flows? And I said, well, they were the two IT guys when we built the system like seven years ago. And so you think about that. And, and again, back to my point, I think that's an example of organizations that have been, you know, hindered, therefore uh, locked in because of the, the technology. And to Jonathan's point, because of the costs to make changes with a system integrator or service provider to those systems, and the challenges of the risk of making changes to it. So uh, I, I see 
what we talk about all the time and see from our customers is a freeing and empowering, giving the keys back to the car to the people that understand the customers. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love what you're talking about there. It's, and, and particularly the, the people experience, that the agent experience with this sounds sounds great and, it, and without a trade-off with, with customer experience, not having to have that binary, it's this or it's this. It seems to, it seems to be very complimentary, which is fantastic. One thing you mentioned, Phil, about that, that um, yeah, that human glue. We say that all the time. You know, there's um, because contact centres, uh, all, all that data and intelligence and insights that comes through the contact centre doesn't necessarily make its way all the way back into the, you know, this discovery process of projects and, and new products and services. Then they just, yeah, they end up becoming that stopgap for what doesn't get designed and built up front. So. Do you see, I mean, certainly you've talked about the insights that you can get through the, the contact centre now, you know, the, 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 the real-time stuff, the historical stuff. Are you seeing, aside from that, are there other changes you're seeing that, that are helping, you know, get that product and service design right up front because of, because of this? If absolutely, and we talk again, uh, our job as uh, AWS, as Jonathan knows all the time, our job is not to tell anyone, you know, we've got the answer, that we don't have the answer. Our job and what we get asked all the time, and we think that's a real privilege for, for customers to ask us and local measure, is to politely provoke them. Our job as a partner, as a value partner, is to suggest, well, have you thought about this? We rarely talk about things such as best practice because I just don't think that they exist. You know, everything evolves so quickly and all, all organisations are different. We know that. What we know, though, is that with the technology, that's just one part of the equation, Sean, probably, um, you know, implied with your, your question or I've inferred that, is that it's, uh, we talk heavily around the culture of innovation, though. So if you don't bring the people like the agents as a stakeholder along with you on the journey, well, your chances of success are going to be lower and your speed will absolutely be lower. And why wouldn't you do that? They typically have the best finger on the pulse of what works and what doesn't for your end customers. So we talk heavily about this uh, culture of innovation because without it, you need that. Because if you enable organisations to say, now I've, I've removed the undifferentiated heavy lifting, you can run experiments as much as you like to, Jonathan, what does we run ABC testing? Let's go crazy, right? But if you, if you still have a fear culture, to do that, then you just don't move at speed. And equally, and equally as importantly, I think, that marriage between business and IT, because I think agents have been to your point, usually at the end of the chain, business has said, we want to do this, IT said, well, you can have that. And then ultimately agents have to live with it. Whereas we think that probably to your question, you have an opportunity to turn that into much more of a flywheel scenario. That creates tension now though, because what used to be guys and girls with screwdrivers reacting to the, the scenario, the situation, the fault, whatever, they kind of go, doesn't mean they go, they can be replaced now in terms of resource reallocation to people that are really genuinely looking at business intelligence and business analytics, and then applying those insights in a much more you know, near real-time perspective. Now we're talking about operational value in life, and that's different than an in-situ technology deployment. Very, very different. It's so fascinating. It's, it's, it just changes the capabilities that you need, the human capabilities that you need in the organisation. You've got this technology now that, can run this fast and can do all this cool stuff, but you need that, you need the capability, the mindset and the culture to support that as well. It's, it's, I'm so glad that we we got a chance to touch on that because that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so, so much of the, the conversations we have is around that that mindset, that that willingness to take risks and experiment and 
um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, really, really cool. I mean, the other thing, Sean, is you've got different stakeholders as well, right? So, you know, tradition, I think in the olden days, at contact center did voice, maybe a little bit of email as well. Uh, and now you've got synchronous and asynchronous communication. You've got social and text messaging and web chat. And what still is pretty surprising is typically the sort of socially messaging is owned by marketing. Certainly the outbound digital comms is owned by marketing. Um, the, the, the voice and kind of email is still owned by contact center. Um, and then you've got kind of new channels like web chat, newish that no one knows who to own. So you've still got um, these massive data silos for each of these different channels with different stakeholders internally trying to figure out what to do. And so I think further to Phil's challenges, I mean, that is a pretty big challenge, like understanding, bringing all those different people along for the journey and saying, actually, this should all be in one platform. It should all be orchestrated the same way. If a customer sends you a text and then Facebook messages you and then calls you, as far as they're concerned, they're dealing with the same organization. You need to be smart enough to thread that narrative together so the agent has all the data. I mean, too often I've sent a tweet and had one conversation, sent an email, had another, and then had to rehash both of those when I pick up the phone. And that's pretty crappy as a customer. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not only the people problem, it's a different division problem. It's a data in different places problem. And then ultimately it leads to pretty unhappy agents because again, they don't want to have to be saying, oh, hey, hey Phil, can you, can you repeat your, your problem again? I mean, that's a, a poor experience for them as well. Yeah, I, just to add to that, by the way, just a side note, that's definitely how Jonathan would operate as a consumer, by the way. He would he would attack you on every channel that you've got. No <laughs> Keep going. You want something done, that's how you do it. <laughs> exactly. If you do, though, in all seriousness, we're backwards from that, that target state, work backwards from the customer. So spot on, right? I mean, as a consumer, I won't talk the name of the organisation, but I had a very similar service experience recently where I was just bounced around. Now, as a customer, I don't want that. I want you to just sort it out regardless of the, the question I'm asking or the issue or, or, or whatever. I think the, the uh, overwhelming uh, opportunity, though, for organisations is, is there. The risk, though, as we know, is that the barriers to exit are so low now. So mm -hmm. as a customer, that service experience that Jonathan to a degree conceptually talked about, the likelihood is very high for that customer just to chuff off and go somewhere else because they can. And that's uh, that's competition, which is fantastic, isn't it? It's all designed, um, if it works well, to enable customers' choice and so on. So that, that capability that we talk about, I think euphemistically as step change and so on, I don't think is step change anymore. It's a, it's a capability that if you don't have, the customers will just walk. And we see that all the time. And we know that as a consumer, isn't it? Mm. So a service orientation and orchestration underpinned by Amazon Connect, for instance, where you have this idea, and you can build this this afternoon, local measure could build this in hours, where you could have, an Alexa home conversational automation going, right? I could be at home, I could be asking Alexa all the questions around, uh, you know, financial services, airline, whatever the case may be. And back to my point, if the organization, the customer builds their service design in such a way optimized for me as a customer, at any point in that service experience, I could say to Alexa, hey, this is all getting a bit complex. Can someone please contact me? Equally, Alexa could say, hey, Phil, we're not understanding what we're saying here. I'll get one of our customer services to give you a call. Or in fact, think about that where Amazon Connect could orchestrate that entire service experience, yeah? So tap on shoulder, outbound call to Jonathan. 
or outbound interaction to Jonathan. It doesn't really matter. In a voice call, I could then bring Phil, bring Jonathan into an inbound queue. That agent could sit there with a seven, 10, seven, 10 second delay and read all the conversational automation that just took place in real time. And think about that service experience. Phil hasn't called, Jonathan's earlier, Phil hasn't called the service provider. I haven't sat in an IVR or auto attended a wait time scenario. You've gone to me with context. That agent feels enabled and empowered. You haven't spent a lot of money because all of our services are consumption driven, right? Customer effort down, customer experience up, cost down, empathy up. And, and we see that service experience is where that service design hits the technology that where the rubber hits the road. And we think those are the experiences that consumers are progressively not asking for, but demanding in a really hyper-competitive scenario, hyper-personalised for you as a, as a customer, if that's the service experience you want. Yeah. I, I don't ask. Go on, Annie, you go. Uh, yeah. Um, just, I mean, something that uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably wondering now um, is how does that, like, how do you work with your clients or your customers that engage with you? Because obviously... There's, it's not just a, you know, you're traditionally, it's like huge plan over the last three, six months and then deliver on this plan. And then you have inevitably a terrible go live experience. Um, but how does that work with you guys? Because it seems like there's a lot of iterating and learning and even, you know, and does the engagement sort of end with yourselves? And then like, how, how do they continue maintaining this adapting and learning and implementing the service design because as we talk about it, it keeps evolving. So I don't know, is that one of you guys could answer that one or both of you? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I can start and then Phil can pick it up. I mean, I think you're spot on. I think you look at previous uh, on-prem or very large, even the large soft, the cloud-based um, software vendors for contact center, you know, it's big waterfall projects. It's six to 12 months. There's multiple zeros at the end. It's very high risk. Uh, and then at the end, it probably doesn't meet uh, what the customer wants because a customer wrote a scoping doc two years ago by the time the thing goes live. The alternate approach is, I suppose, what Phil's been talking about, which is take one part of your business that's discrete, that's got a problem, and let's just test and iterate and do a whiteboard session and reimagine what that experience could look like. So I'll give you a concrete example. We're working with an entertainment company at the moment that was having challenges converting on their website and kind of the lag between them jumping on a call or getting a response was, was too high, so they're losing business. So they're thinking about how do they have like a smart kind of web chat capability um, with kind of Lex and automation that could then escalate to an agent um, if need be. So, you know, we've, we've whiteboarded with our professional services team, with the AWS team and the customer to say, look, technology aside, what would be the best customer outcome? Like what would be, you know, a great um, journey for the end customer? And then let's figure out how do we just take that one specific use case, which is web chat, and kind of redesign that, test it, and deploy it within a couple of weeks. And kind of what we see then is once the customers kind of bought in and go, oh, shit, you solved that one. I've got five other problems. How about we start whiteboarding those five problems? And then that's sort of how you kind of drive this step change in behavior. So I think, Sean, you originally asked for your listeners, like, how do they get started? And I agree, going to the CEO saying, hey, we want to rip and replace this legacy contact center solution that you spent $20 million on and, and we've you know built all these spaghetti customizations. That's a hard conversation. But I think if you go to the CEO and say, hey, this one piece of our business, Facebook Messenger, we're taking five days to respond to a customer. 
Um, that's not a good experience. How about we automate that and put a bot and we can get that done in two to three weeks. And by the way, it's only going to cost a couple of hundred dollars. Um, that's a really nice way to get started. Sure is. Yeah, the only, the only thing I, I don't know I mean, to, to your question and Jonathan's response is, you know, it might sound a little bit philosophical, life is just a series of challenge statements, isn't it, really? So I think the challenge statement to Jonathan's example of more traditional Big Bang, uh, pretty well documented. The challenge statement, uh, I think we touched on before, of a, of a technology stack that is so agile and is, is being added to all the time. So just with Amazon Connect from a SaaS point of view, we've added 149 features in the last three and a half years. That's a challenge statement for a customer. But we think, uh, in our view, that's a more positive challenge statement than a negative, is this going to fail challenge statement. It means, though, back to that conversation, is what resources and skills and partners do I have to be running those sprints and those boot camps and those hackathons to test and learn? And we talk a lot about building muscle. Uh, so what you get with a, a, an ISV and a consulting partner like Local Measure is a lot of that pre-built muscle that can be deployed at speed. And ultimately, to all the conversation we've just been having, it's, we think, again, it's so crucial about velocity, isn't it? Because if you, I mean, it's one thing to be able to say, yes, I can do a post-call analysis of sentiment of a day in three months time and I've just worked out that Phil had a pretty inferior service experience and go to Phil and say, oh, I'm so sorry, it's a good chance he's gonna forget that. But it's, it's all about that speed and ultimately that velocity, isn't it? So we think that creates more challenges for organizations that they haven't really had to have, but they're positive challenges. They're actually really empowering and exciting. Amazing. You get some life lessons from Phil as well. There's sort of like a little bit of philosophy, almost Einstein-esque in that. Life is like a series of problem statements. I want that on a T-shirt. <laughs> you need that silence there. I think I felt like the silence would have gone well there. <laughs> that's where you should have. That's where you should have put it in. The, the question I had, right though, um, so so I, I love that. Like I love the the approach of you know start where you can, start small. I think that's a similar approach that we take as well to um, to the, you know changing the ways of working. That we don't just go in with this huge plan, you know. We 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 help them build momentum because they're learning as well these new skills, new capabilities, which I, which I assume is the same thing because they haven't done it before and they go, oh wow, like that's possible, that's awesome. But what happens when when you go like when? And I don't know if that's how the engagement works, whether there's a set period of time they work with you and then it's like, well, thanks thanks a lot, uh, thanks a lot, AWS team. We're gonna, or um, and and local measure team will now take over here. But like, you know, do, they don't have the AWS developers. They don't have the, um, you know, the, the people from your team. Like, how does that work afterwards? Look, I, I can jump in and then Phil can. I mean, I think part of any of these journeys is building internal capabilities, right? And I think part of the workshopping and kind of scoping sessions um, is for organisations to build capacity to be able to manage. I mean, and just like they do with on-premise systems, um, as Phil said, you've got people with screwdrivers kind of keeping servers alive. This is a slightly different type of skill set, but it's one that most organizations of certain scale want to have in-house. And where they don't, they can lean on partners like us, like Local Measure, to provide kind of ongoing support as well. So you could have a hybrid model uh, or in some organizations, they're quite happy to have the design and the build and the 
iteration around the customer journey with specialists let us kind of deploy and then for them to take over others kind of want a longer term engagement i think that really comes down to the sophistication of the organization where they are in their journey and kind of what what their willingness is um, to get their hands dirty and i think there's no kind of one size fits all it's, it's kind of really different yeah it's 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 right on isn't it jonathan it's about customer choice and, and again I, I think that constraint that has been imposed as a generalised statement in industry that if you want X, you've got to have ABC is the equation or the formula to get it. To Jonathan's point there, if customers have a very strong AWS dev skill capability and they want to bring it in-house, awesome, great. And our role we play, my team plays, I'll need to your question, can be much more of a provoking role periodically, right, as, as, as the case may be. For many organisations that want that full turnkey, then a partner like a, a local measure you know, fits the bill perfectly. And, and there's probably usually variations or shades in between of those two. But again, it's uh, the optimising of the technology to prove out, you know, the, the desired customer experience, isn't it? Uh, so you take Queensland Health as an example. I, I use them a lot, actually. I think it's such a wonderful leadership organisation to really cut through kind of legacy operating environments and technology to genuinely, principle-wise, to improve the service experience for the 105-odd thousand Queensland state government employees. Now, when you hear examples and stories that they've talked about where they've brought in-house, that was their decision, that capability, and then what that allowed probably to your previous question, Arnie, a backlog of, of experiments, of plans, of, you know, engagement with the business and with ultimately with state government employees. This is the optimal password reset service experience. So this is the optimal automation. And the stuff that they were able to build in-house themselves is really inspiring. And so we see all different shades. And I'm sure Jonathan can talk about many examples of, of his customers that have used, you know, local measure product set in a much more consumed way because that's how they feel comfortable. And size and scale comes into this, doesn't it, JB, in terms of organisations about, you know, where they see that. That said, some of the most advanced and sophisticated uh, use cases and technology problems we, we see in those really, uh, in those really agile, nimble, almost born in the cloud customers are digital natives as well, doing some really amazing stuff, aren't they? And the reason they do that, I think, if you take a step back and, and obviously clearly they want to deliver great customer experiences, not, not taking that away from them, but the reason why those startups um, have those incredible experiences is because they want to save cost and they know they're going to scale really fast. So, you know, in the old paradigm where Phil said you can put another thousand people into the, into the contact centre, that doesn't really gel with an early stage startup. So by design, they've kind of figured out how do you automate, how do you digitise service how do you remove friction? How do you keep cost out? So that when we go from a million customers to 50 million customers, we actually don't need a thousand people in our contact center. I think people who've already got to scale and already do have a thousand people in their contact center, it's harder for them to reimagine the future. And I think that's what's coming with or without them, right? This uber uberfication of your workforce where you can take a shift and come in for two hours and then go out and come back in, that's happening whether or not um, contact center leaders like it or not. So it's how do you think about the technology that can enable that work from home scaled use case and how do you digitize as much of the customer interaction as is appropriate to kind of deliver a better customer outcome? Mm. It's just 
it, it's so so um, enlightening and um, I'm feeling very optimistic, I suppose, about the future for contact centres, given I think in the past technology has created some paradigms around the way contact centres are run and led that has been, I think you said it before, Jason, uh, uh, Jonathan, that, you know, pretty, pretty shit, um, you know, outcomes and um, yeah, almost unhealthy, created unhealthy environments in the contact centre. And I just love the way that this, the technology now is, 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 flexible, scalable enough that it's, and, and I suppose it's going to demand that leaders in contact centres shift to a new way of working. They're going to have to think about reimagining the way that they work to support being able to, you know, run run technology in the way that they are. Um, I'm curious, have you have either of you guys seen any really interesting use cases or, or, or use cases that have surprised you um, in the time you've been you've been doing this? Well, I mean, what's surprising is the bar is so low in so many customers. It is actually not that hard to impress a customer. Um, and for me, that's, that's, that's incredible. Like you'll show them something that in the rest of the tech sector thinks takes it as um, a trivial use case. One example is a multilingual kind of response. And that will blow the mind of a contact center leader who's having to schedule, you know, agents of 10 different languages to cover 24-7. And when you show them, you know, with like 90% accuracy, you can have a bot responding in language. And at 1am on the off chance, you're going to get a chat. Maybe it's good enough to have like a multilingual bot. You can see like the brain explode going, where, where have you been all my life? So um, it's kind of fun being in an industry where they don't expect much. And when you deliver so much higher than that, people get genuinely excited. It's, it's super cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo that. Uh, Sean, from what Jonathan said, I think something as, as basic as we talk about that we can execute truly in minutes, call comes in, do a lookup in Salesforce or data store, I can identify it's Phil. Hey, Phil, the last time you called was three hours ago. Is this related to case inquiry one, two, three, four, five? Using Amazon Poly, that neural text-to-speech as an example. Uh, using the Olivia Australian persona as an example. When's the last time anyone on this podcast has actually actually had that service experience? And that's something that we can do. And to Jonathan's point, this, the fact that we, you can do that and do that just out of um, scripting, you don't even need any dev capabilities to do that, kind of does blow people away. But then you take it up a notch. And Sean, to your question, what we are starting to see organisations I think the hockey stick now, though, they're starting to wake up to the fact, well, hang on, I could do that. And then if I could identify that Phil's preferred language is actually Italian, then the next interaction, I'm going to deploy the Italian Giorgio persona next time. And maybe if I want to take it up a notch even further, I could deploy one of two different voice styles over that persona. So a newscaster more formal way in which that voice has been deployed or customer service, a more uplifting tone. And I could do that dynamically, I could do that manually, I could do that based on sentiment. And if I want to take it up a notch even further, like National Australia Bank has done, like Butterfly New Zealand has done, I could actually pay a little bit of money to AWS and actually build my own branded voice experience unique to me as a brand, as an organisation. I think that's the stuff that we're starting to see organisations really build upon. So I, I kind of, personally speaking, I don't know what Jonathan thinks, I'm starting to see that accelerate. So the expectation is actually accelerating, which is fantastic. Because again, back to the previous point, it means that customers should be given more options. Mm. 
yeah, more competition. Well, if that price point is so low, well, I, it opens up organizations to be, again, truly genuinely delivering improved customer service and customer experience. And that's the objective. But I think the challenge is most of the vendors, certainly none of the legacy vendors, and even very few of the cloud vendors are able to deliver those kinds of scaled, customizable experiences. And I think that's sort of largely where AWS has an advantage and why local measure plays so heavily with AWS, because you get those capabilities that Phil mentioned out of the box at no cost uh, and, and kind of you, you pay for what you use. And that, that's, that sort of also blows a customer away. Typically you'd have to buy everything up front on a multi-year contract, irrespective of whether you used it. And we're telling customers, don't pay us. No, no, we don't want your money. Just try it and see if it works and pay us the few cents. We're like, what do you mean we don't need to pay you? We're like, we don't want you to pay. keep your money, but just try it and, and tell us if it works. And when it works, Clearly, obviously, you're going to be a long-term customer. Yeah. I mean, we, we did away with contracts. I mean, and I know AWS is the same. We don't lock contract centers into contracts. We don't care if you're on a contract or not. We figure our product should be good enough that you stick with us because it delivers customer value. And the only two things I'd add is uh, one is on your behalf, Jonathan, is one you also chose us because you love us, right? There's a great working relationship that obviously helps. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, and actually to, to this point, I think, Arnie, going back to your question, what that means in terms of customers, to Jonathan's point, there's no contract sign. That means we need to earn the trust of our customers every day, every moment, every interaction. Because if we don't, and that's done in many different ways, transparency, uh, the cost model, the fact that we're constantly delivering innovation and that pace of innovation, we know that they're the, the sacred elements of that uh, delivery of that trust. Because if, if we don't and we break that trust, then a customer could turn off the service like that. Let's, uh, let, let's, let's start to wrap things up because we're, we're nearly on time. But that's, um, I, I've really enjoyed that conversation. It's, it's absolutely opened my eyes to the opportunities that, as, and I hope it has to the contact centre managers that, and leaders that are listening um, it's uh, yeah, this should be music to their ears in terms of particularly even if they're relatively um, relative newbies to, you know, th this new world of, you know, what AWS can offer and particularly your, your guys, Jonathan, local measure. So love to finish on looking further, further ahead. What, what do you think in five years time, what does the contact center look like? Well, I personally, hopefully I'm on a beach in Fiji somewhere, Sean, if that's, if that's <laughs> I think the, uh, the, the CX center, the hub, the engagement, whatever the, the, you know, the new term will be in five years' time, will be the absolute delivery on the aspirational statement I mentioned before, which is to leverage data at speed and scale to truly deliver a highly personalised and predictive customer experience. Yeah. I, I, to, to join this point, I, I, you, you don't wake up wanting to contact a provider. You've either got a question, a fault, a problem, or whatever. But if people can predict and become um, almost a part of my engagement motion uh, to answer a question that I don't even think I have almost, getting to that point, then I think that's, that removes effort from me. And I, I think that's value. I really do. Mm. And look, I can't add too much to the um, 
customer piece. And obviously I'll, I'll be visiting Phil on the beach in Fiji, but I, the, the one piece I'd add is the agent experience. Uh, and I agree, a lot of these interactions should be scaled, should be through bots, should be automated. So I think that the role of the agent then becomes how to be the, the net that catches the thing that slipped through that, that can't be automated through business process. And I think the AI uh, and the ML and an intelligent intuitive interface can give the agents information they need at the moment that they need it. So anticipating what the customer is going to ask them and providing them information to, to kind of resolve it almost like there's sort of a coach on their shoulder kind of whispering in their ear um, kind of what they need to do. And I think when you have that combination of AI and ML, the automation, the predictive, and like agents with like that, that ability to serve, um, that's really cool. Um, that, that, that means, you know, you're not going to be waiting in an endless IVR for 10 hours to kind of get your, you know, your gas meter read. And I think that could be really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the concept of this almost giving superpowers to the, the frontline consultants I love that. So, Arnie, and the superpowers. No, I was, I was just going to say, like, the, the superpowers now, but it's just going to be the expectation. Like, they're just going to be regular powers in mm. five years' time or even less than that. So, I think. Who wears the contact- a Superman shirt under, under black <laughs> polo? <laughs> I'm not surprised, um, especially if he switches on the Giorgio persona. Um, very, <laughs> very interested what that might look like. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm like Sean. Thank, like it's awesome to hear the stuff that you're doing. Um, for audience listening, we're not sponsored by uh, either of them. I would add, it's really just for us to really explore what the future of contact centers look like. And we've been talking about the need for contact centers to become this customer experience center, this value center, because all of the simple, mundane things that they do now or have been doing. They're not going to be needing to do that anymore, our, our contact centers. They need to be doing higher order activity because of our technologies that Phil and, and Jonathan have talked about. So I think for all the listeners here, got to get in now. Like the future is right now, not, not waiting another year or two years or whatever it is. Too late. Thanks for having us on the show, guys. Thanks so great, much. Great chat. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Thanks a lot. See you, guys. Bye. See you guys. Bye.